Welcome to this episode of Patient Perspectives in HIV Prevention, a CE podcast series. If you are seeking continuing education credit, please review the front matter for disclosures and the requirements for successful completion of the activity prior to listening to the podcast. A link is found in the show notes that can direct you to this information. After listening to the podcast, please go to practice.cme.com to complete the post-test and evaluation to receive continuing education credit. Joining us in this episode is Dr. Allison Agu and her patient of many years who first started PrEP during a clinical trial. Thank you for your attention. The podcast will now begin. It is so good to see with, see you today and to, to talk about something that's been a central part of why we, we got to know each other as, as patient and, and, and doc. So really glad to, to hear your experiences today. Yeah, uh, it's really glad. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, it's really, I'm really happy to be here and to have this conversation and chat. And hopefully this will be some learning opportunity for somebody out there. So thank you so much for the opportunity. Awesome. Um, so you, you get to count as a, as a prep old head and many of you were prep really way before prep became mainstream and, and cool. And I'm, I'm just wondering if you could share uh, what was it that, that made you even reach out and to, to try prep in the first place? Uh, so, well, I, I think for me growing up, um, there was, um, you know, uh, a possibility of being exposed to HIV one way or the other. Um, and that I saw that as an opportunity to, uh, pre, you know, help, help myself. Did you perceive your risk of HIV being high? Yes, um, I think that at the time when I started the study, my risk wasn't necessarily high at that time. Well, it was, but um, I, I felt like um, I could, uh, I was going to, my risk was going to increase. Um, and I, I knew that. And I just figured that this is the time to sort of get on and sort of see what this prep thing is about before that risk increases and, you know, possibly contracting the, the disease. What kinds of things were you already doing um, to prevent HIV um, at that time? Um, and curious how you thought PrEP would potentially be used in a way to have you be able to have sex the way you wanted to. Just curious how you factored in PrEP in, in what you were already doing. Uh, so at the time, it was definitely, you know, uh, abstinence was one as best as I could. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I lived with my family at the time, but again, I knew I was moving out and going to college. And so I would have a lot more opportunities there and freedom, um, you know, and uh, also condoms were one thing, you know, that I definitely used. Uh, that was definitely a good preventative measure. Um, but I also realized that I think culturally in the sort of gay scene in, in that environment, it, it was almost normal to go bareback or like without a condom or without protection. And so um, after having a few slip ups where, you know, the condom broke or, you know, there were sort of situations like that. I realized that, you know, again, it was in my best interest to get on PrEP uh, as more of a more, um, you know, 
you know, as a, as a sort of confident measure to prevent that versus like the condoms that can break, abstinence, which is more the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak uh, type of situation. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that. Okay. So was that the sort of the moment, what was the thing that said, you know, this is the thing that's going to make me take prep? Was it a, a moon that the condom broke? Was it an STI? What, what was it that finally said, I'm going to make this happen in terms of prep? Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I, I think that it was a combination of all of those factors. I think one was the main factor that I was moving out, going to college. I knew I was going to be more exposed. There was going to be mm-hmm. more people. I wanted to explore my sexuality a bit more. Two was that I had experiences where condoms broke and I didn't know, you know, what the situation was. You know, people could tell you they're negative, but that does what does not necessarily, you can't take that at face value. Um, and then also, you know, I'd had some SDIs as well, which definitely meant to me that I was getting closer to possibly contracting this. So it was more like I need to get on PrEP so that, you know, SDIs I could possibly treat. HIV was more of a long term sort of thing. And I wanted to sort of get on the forefront of that. So I think I would say it was a combination of all those factors. That's interesting that you, you mentioned that and you observe that in your own life. I mean, there certainly have been studies showing literally for individuals who are diagnosed with HIV, you look back and within six months to a year, they'd had a prior STI, whether it's chlamydia or syphilis, et cetera. And those are sort of missed opportunities to intervene in that diagnosis. And, it, you know, it sounds like you clinically, you were seeing that for yourself and, and made the leap yourself. Did you know anyone else who was on PrEP? And did you know anybody else, anyone who was HIV positive? Just curious if you, you knew that. Um, yes. Yeah, so I didn't know anyone who was on PrEP at the time. I think I was the first person who knew anything about PrEP in my circle that I knew anything about. Um, did I, I knew a few people who were positive. Um, uh, but again, I think that's one of the motivating factors, right? It wasn't, there was no direct way to know that this person had HIV, right? Or they were HIV positive. They looked normal like everybody else. And I think that was, that even scared me the more because it made me realize that you know, people could say they're positive and people, I may have had sex with people who were positive and I did not know it because they did not disclose. Um, and so PrEP was the way for me to, whether they disclosed or not, or whether they're honest or not, I, it was a way of sort of protecting myself at the time. Mm-hmm. So an additional sort of security blanket in some way and on top of what you were doing. Um, yeah. So one of the things that, at, that is often talked about is two things I should say. One, you are a, a man of color. Right. And, and in terms of, you know, the data is always, you know, one in two black men who are, you know, MSM will acquire, you know, HIV in their lifetime, sort of really daunting statistics. Um, and however, when you look at PrEP, in terms of who actually accesses, accesses PrEP, there's huge disparities in terms of African-American males or black males not accessing PrEP despite having this, this, this really high use or high risk. Um, so just to, to frame that. And we oftentimes see these stop, step down where people come in and they, they may get to a provider to get that PrEP prescribed, and then they are less likely to go get that PrEP. And so recognizing you came to PrEP uh, through a study, what was the thing that said, okay, I'm going to come get this prescribed? What was your thought process as you were going to take that first pill? What were you concerned about? What were you afraid of? <laughs> or, uh, or what thoughts went through your head? Going through my head before I started PrEP or before I went on PrEP, you know, I was thinking about my privacy. I was concerned about that. I was concerned about what my family might think or my friends, if they knew, you know, I was concerned about 
well, is this real? This is a whole study. And, you know, is, is it, am I on a placebo or is this like the real thing? You know, I was concerned about side effects. If there are any side effects, whether short-term or long-term side effects. Um, I was concerned about, um, you know, people knowing that I was on PrEP and maybe even misdiagnosing or mis misrepresenting uh, me and thinking that I'm HIV positive mm-hmm. versus, you know, being on PrEP. So you mentioned uh, side effects. Did you have any side effects? So side effects, I would say initially was uh, maybe flatulence, maybe change in my digestion or the, 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 the consistency of my digestion, so to say, would have been mm-hmm. side effects, maybe some nausea, uh, very mild initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, these were pretty much at the, at the early onset of PrEP. What were you told about adherence and how to adhere to your PrEP? And, you know, we'd love to hear how, how that went for you in terms of what you were advised on adherence. So adherence, I know the, 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 the goal is to, you know, take it every day, um, you know, and so that you can build it up at 100%. Um, and for me... Um, obviously, initially, I would say I was taking it every day. I was very religious about it. Um, over time, over the years, I may have reduced my adherence a bit um, uh, because I just felt like I built enough tolerance and, you know, I may not have been taking it seven days a week. Uh, uh, and maybe I went down to five days a week and we talked about, okay, maybe a 90% coverage, you know, with five days a week or thereabouts. So, that that was my adherence uh, schedule for the most part. You're not gonna get in trouble. This <laughs> so curious. Were there certain things that that made you more likely to take it versus not, or you know, was it certain relationships you were in, or certain times or seasons of risk? Curious how how you may give some insight into what was going into that decision making. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I, I I think that well, first initially when I started. I was adhering 100% because it was a new study. I wanted to make sure that, you know, they were taking uh, samples to test, you know, that it was in my body. So I wanted to make sure that I was compliant, one. Uh, After that, when I sort of passed the first few months, passed the compliance phase, um, I I think I based my adherence based on um, my risk, right? You know, I I knew that I was having more um, unprotected sex with, other people. And so I wasn't necessarily sure about their statuses. So I continued that adherence to make sure that it was optimal in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, after, at some point I was in a relationship. So I paused that for a while. Um, and then, you know, sometime during my relationship, not to put my personal business out there, but um, there was, you know, some infidelity issues and there was an STI involved. And so that rang up to me that there is the risk has just increased as well. So I needed to get back on it, even though I was in a relationship. And I would say, again, adherence was, again, based on my, my, my sexual behavior or practice. Um, if I knew that I was going to be promiscuous or I was going to be having unprotected or even protected sex with some people regularly or often during a particular period or season, I would be more consistent with my prep versus when I had some, you know, lulls where I wasn't as sexually active. I think that's helpful to be honest about. I think certainly, you know, we say there's that aim to go for a hundred, but what I love what you're talking about is sort of how you 
calculated your risk based on what, hey, I'm going to be doing this. So I'm really going to be really adherent or not. And, and, and kind of really adjusting if you were going away for, for six months and, you know, you were going to be in a com- combine for whatever period of time with nobody else, then you, you were adjusting that, not that you did that. So I think that's, it's important to have these honest conversations. And when you, there are studies actually trying to figure out what that is, and it is certain partners where you're in a monogamous relationship, certain things where you may adjust that, that, that prep take. Mm-hmm. So, so curious, you know, you were in prep for Peter Tam as part of a study, and then you were on prep out of a study where we continued to have a, a relationship and you, you got prep for me. Can you talk about some of the challenges you may have had in terms of getting prep in that in that setting or as anything that was 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 essentially a barrier yeah um i think that while you know getting prep on the study was just very accessible you know i had you know there was a team involved and you know you could reach out to people if you had any questions or mm-hmm. if there was a scare or concerns or anything like that um outside the study it wasn't hard getting getting it i think because of the relationship i had with dr a and i think the other challenge was when i moved um, away from this, from the city, you know, just get moved to a different place. It was, you know, just having to see, cause I think the requirement is every 90, every, you have to have an appointment or meet, uh, uh, an appointment every 90 days. So having scheduling that appointment to be able to sort of renew the prep was, um, you know, because of the distance was sort of like a, a, an issue, um, or sort of a challenge there. But um, aside from that, I think, you know, overall, it's so far, at least looking back now, PrEP is easily more accessible. Primary care doctors, you know, are more familiar and, and are aware about it. Um, and, you know, it's, you know, again, you get a 90-day supply. Um, I was able to get a discount from the producer or from the makers of the, of the product. Mm-hmm. So that reduced my copay significantly. So that meant that I could afford it. And it wasn't something that was, you know, uber expensive. Um, so I, I think accessibility has just been great post the study, but particularly because I was in that study. I think if I was not in that study, it would have been definitely more difficult to get um, than versus being in the study. So I'm uh, wondering, um, since you're such a seasoned veteran of prep, have there been periods where you've stopped prep for a long period of time and then restarted or just curious how it's played out over the years since you've been, been on it? Yes. Yes. Um, I, I would say, you know, like I mentioned before, I, I, I sort of take my doses of prep based on my risk assessment mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and I sometimes go through months of, you know, non-sexual activity and, um, so during those times, I, you know, I could, I would pause my prep and I just wouldn't be taking them. Um, or in some cases, uh, at least, you know, more recently, you know, if I knew that uh, I was possibly going to be sexually active, you know, tomorrow or something like that, I may take, you know, I may get my prep today and take it tomorrow and then just dose it for the next, you know, sort of few days while I was having that sexual activity. So what you're alluding to is the, the, sort of the on-demand prep strategy, which is not currently approved in the U.S., but in, in some places it is essentially where you take two doses in one one, which is oftentimes considered more challenging for young people to take. And it just it talks to, speaks to your age that with growing up <laughs> and adding a little <laughs> more years, that this is something that you have done research on your own and also said was something that I, you know, I can, can do, but again, mm-hmm. not currently approved in the U S as a strategy, just to say that. Um, but mm-hmm. there is 
created a, or some studies to try to, to show that this does actually work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I'm curious how COVID-19 has, has changed your experience with PrEP. So I would say COVID um, for me uh, has not helped with uh, meeting people because um, I just haven't been meeting people as much. For me, I haven't been as sexually active during COVID. So um, I, my PrEP is still, it, my, my, my adherence is still pretty much similar to what it was prior. Uh, to, to now. You know, there, there actually has been some data coming out that has come out showing that PrEP starts were down, people reaching out for PrEP, HIV testing was down. So definitely impacted how people, you know, engage with their PrEP and speaks to the need for more strategies, telemedicine, you know, testing in different ways to get people access to PrEP when we were not able to go get it the way we normally do. You know, you, you always have done your research and looked into things. And so you, you're probably aware there's now, you know, thoughts about injectable PrEP and implantable PrEP and, and different modalities. And if you had to, to say, you know, long acting oral pills for PrEP, you only take once every certain number of months. I um, wonder what your thoughts are about the different strategies and how, you know, if there's one, would there be another one that you'd want to, to use or how you think it may impact um, PrEP use? Um, for individuals, including yourself. Yeah, and in my in, in my experience, you know, talk to people, other people who are on prep now. I think that's one of the things that the the that, that is challenging for them is the adherence, right? Taking that pill every day, recall remembering to take it every day, and being consistent with it. And mm-hmm. I know for a fact that you know they've even brought up conversations about you know it would be nice to just have a shot of this or take one pill every few months or ever so often, you know. And I can imagine that they'll they'll probably jump on board quicker um, if, if those options are available to them, of course, at, a, at an affordable rate versus having to take the medication, you know, every so, every so often. So just curious, um, let's say someone comes to you and says, hey, you know, I'm thinking about PrEP and what would you advise someone in terms of, you know, take trying it. to, yeah. Take it, take it, take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. But that's it. Okay. <laughs> Just no, I, I, I really think, I, I think that, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, when you look at COVID-19 right now and they're talking about the vaccines and building herd immunity, you know, it, it's similar to that, right? Especially in the, in the, in the non-heterosexual sort of world, you know, uh, sex is prevalent, you know, infections can be rapid. Um, and so if you can find a way to get more people on board to take this prophylaxis, it will definitely reduce, you know, the infection rates, it will reduce new cases, it will reduce, you know, spread and all of that. Um, and so I'm, I've always been a big advocate for PrEP. Um, I think my, my best friends, so all the people who are really close to me all are on PrEP now, and they all know that I've been on PrEP and I was in the study with Johns Hopkins and, and all of that. And so, you know, they know that this is, this is, this is me. Um, and so I, I always tell them and I advocate for it because I think that, it, you know, it's not just protecting us in this interim, but it's also protecting others who may be naive or not aware of PrEP or not even aware of the sexual, uh, um, the HIV status or, or, you know, but are still promiscuous or are still having unprotected sex, you know, so that way I think it will, it will cover the, cover the bases for the most part. So I have one last question and this is awesome. It sounds like you, I mean, you're, what I love about you is that you, you thought about it, you sought it out, you, you did all these things and, and, and 
you know, I can reflect on many of the conversations, you would always come in with your information to ask questions. But there are a lot of people who still are not accessing PrEP. And what do you, what would you suggest would be the best way to sort of get the word out there about PrEP and, and the benefits, et cetera, for those that are not as informed and enlightened and don't happen to be your friends? Mm, that's, a, that's a very good question. Um, one, I would say that I think the first start is with uh, medical providers. I think that it's very important that they're informed about PrEP and what it is. Because I know that, you know, typically if you go to a doctor's office and you have a complaint for an STI, you know, then they ask you certain questions, you know, and that could be an op- opportunity for the providers to recommend PrEP, you know, for people who are sexually active, um, whether, you know, they disclose that they have sex with men or otherwise, you know, so I think that is one, one, one step. And then two, um, I think is in awareness, you know, creating a little bit more sort of outreach, not just on PrEP being PrEP, because I think people know that, you know, PrEP is a thing, you know, and there's also this concern, so to say that, you know, everybody's saying they're on PrEP, but who's really on PrEP and mm. how, are they actually adhering to their PrEP? You know, uh, you know, do they have a 90% sort of uh, immunity coverage versus a 50%, you know? So if it's 50%, then I might as well just feel like I'm having someone who's positive. But again, you don't know what people's adherence levels are. So not just informing people about taking PrEP, but how the best ways and the most effective ways to taking PrEP and even other possible options or modalities that they can take PrEP, I think is definitely key. Um, uh, and then making it accessible across the board, whether it's through you know health clinics, whether it's through um, big hospitals, you know, just again, I think my main focus would, or suggestion would be to focus on the medical providers where, you know, if we can prescribe more of those and just continue to maintain, like, like we had in the study, right, there was a follow-up, there's, you know, a team, there's maybe have a team like that in every major hospital where they have their own sort of teams that follow up with people who are on PrEP, making sure they're getting their prescriptions, you know, uh, and sort of the companies that produce some of these um, um, prophylaxis, making them readily available and affordable for people who may be from lower income areas or who are people of color who may not have the knowledge or the awareness, you know? And so again, I think some of those factors would definitely help. I can't, you know, underscore that more. I, I, I oftentimes say expand it to pharmac- pharmacies, your CVS, your Walgreens, like really, you know, meet people where they are. Um, mm-hmm. you know, not everybody can come to Hopkins and not everybody can, can come to a major center. And so, you know, the, the school health clinics, I mean, literally expanding where, and who prescribes PrEP. Um, I cannot say enough how it's been wonderful talking with you today. I, you know, I, I think we have always said in, in our patient doctor interactions that it's, it's bi-directional and hopefully I've, you've learned as much from me as I've learned from you. It really has been a privilege uh, to be involved in this journey with you um, and great to see how well you're doing and uh, how PrEP has you know, affected your life and to see you blossom into who you've become. It really has been my, my extreme honor to be a part of that. Well, I, I would say thank you so much. And I definitely echo those sentiments as well, Dr. A. I, I think, you know, you have been just amazing, you know, as both a person and a provider and, and a doctor and, and a clinician. Uh, and I, I wouldn't be here without you uh, truly. And I, I truly feel, you know, my life has changed from PrEP because 
the one major thing that I was really scared of from a health perspective or a health scare was HIV and the fact that I got on it, you stayed on me, you know, you made sure that I was get, taking what I was, you know, taking my medication, you know, offering these other options of condoms and ingraining that into my head so that I'm not just taking PrEP, I'm just having random sex with everybody, but also still being conscious about my, my health and the impacts that it would have, I think definitely has changed my life trajectory. And I see myself as a sort of like a mini beacon in a way to other the folks around me um, as an example that they can see that, okay, this is somebody who is doing well and, you know, he's on prep. And again, there's no stigmas necessarily and no one's necessarily like saying, oh, well, he's on prep or whatever the case may be. And now we're normalizing that behavior and erasing that stigma. So I would definitely say it's, it's been an honor for me as well, just having this conversation with you. And um, I, I really appreciate the opportunity and it's, it's been really great. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Please go to the activity page on practicepointcme.com to complete the post-test and evaluation to receive continuing education credit.